All right. Good morning. Well, as Dave said, I am the youth pastor here, and uh, I love what I get to do and love that I get to do it here. And uh, I'm excited about what God has in store this morning. But I do want to say happy Father's Day. Would, if you're a father, would you just stand for a minute? Uh, would you stand up? Let's give him a, a hand again. Just, stay, just remain standing a second. You know, your job is vital and important to uh, society and the world that we live in. And uh, I love stats, and I also hate them. Uh, I like stats because, well, they're truth. There's people that are a lot smarter than I am who get together and put all this information together and comp- come up with stats. Uh, so it's true. And what stats say about fathers involved with their kids and then their families and, and keeping families together is important to what uh, our society needs, what our kids need as being a youth pastor and that for so long. You are vital. Here's the thing about stats, though. Although they are true, they are not truth. And you and I have the ability to change the outcome of a stat. Just because somebody puts a stat or a number or anything on us does not mean it is truth. We have the ability and the power inside of us to change that. And that all comes from God. And so would you, if you're sitting around a father, would you just reach out your hand? I want to pray for them and then pray for the service this morning. God, I thank you that you have called us to be fathers and dads, that, God, we are not perfect. We have made many mistakes. We have done things wrong, but, God, we're asking by the power of your spirit that you would transform our lives and that you would change us as dads to be involved uh, with our kids, to be strong in our families, to take up the mantle that you've placed on us as father figures, as priests of the home. And to make a change. That God, we don't have to succumb to a statistic or what the world thinks or says. But God, we just need to look to you as our source of strength and our help to be the best fathers, the best dads, the best husbands that we can be. And so God, I'm praying that over every man that's here this morning. That God, we need you. And that God, you have given us everything that we need. So we invite you, Lord, just to come and do your work and your will in each one of these fathers. And we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you come this morning and you would change and challenge all of our hearts, that you would have your way this morning and you get all the glory and the praise. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, I don't have a lot of time to diddly-daddly around, so we're going to get right into it. And our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And I, I kind of had a little moment with the Lord when I read this scripture. It's like something in my heart just kind of left, and I got a little excited, and uh, that's why we're, uh, we're going over it this morning. This is what it says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. First thing that I want us to see in this is uh, we're in a fight. How many know that you're in a fight? We're in a battle. Whether we want to be or not, we're in a fight. We're in a battle. And, uh, and then it says this, the weapons that we have, we have weapons. We have weapons for this fight, but they're not like the world's weapons. The world's weapons are completely different than the weapons that you and I have as believers than the world has. Now, I watch all kinds of TV shows, and the, the one thing that we always find out is the bad guys are always trying to get their hands on the best weapons that they can so that they can 
take over whatever it is they're trying to take over, the, trying to be the best gang or take over the city or whatever. And they're trying to get their hands on military-grade weaponry that's better than anybody else's. The Bible says this, our weapons are not of this world. They're not worldly weapons. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. This is where I get excited. Demolish. How many get excited when they see and read the word demolish? Like, I was like, whoo, we get to smash stuff. Like, we get to break things up. In 2005, uh, Katrina hit the shores of New Orleans down south, and we just felt as a youth ministry, we want to go and help any way we could. So for the next three years, we just kept taking teams down to New Orleans to help rebuild. And uh, the first couple of years that we went down there, all we did was demolish. It was so much fun. I mean, it was, it was sad, but it was so much fun. I mean, we got sledgehammers, we got hammers, we got jackhammers, everything. And we just would go into these brick homes and we would just demolish everything inside, take down everything, and then we'd have to rebuild it. And I remember we had to go into this one house. They couldn't continue building until their in-ground pool was completely uh, dug up, thrown into the, the hole, and then they could fill it and then they could continue to build the rest of the home. And so... Our job was to go in and to demolish this thing. I mean, we were excited for like 10 minutes. <laughs> we grabbed sledgehammers. We, some of us had jackhammers, and we just went to town. And I'm not kidding. By, by minute nine, it was 112 degrees that day. By minute nine, we're like, I'm exhausted. I'm done. And they're like, yep, we got about nine hours left. And we're just smashing this thing to pieces, demolishing this thing, and throwing it into this pit. And then we just sat back and went, Wow. That was exhausting. That was fun. But it was, it was like we had permission to destroy stuff. There's something about having that authority to go ahead and demolish something. And then the, you just kind of get a little extra strength and you just go for it. And Paul is saying here in this scripture, is like, we have these divine weapons to demolish strongholds. To take down some stuff that's been built up. A stronghold is simply something that restrains us, holds us back, keeps us from be, being who we're created to be or accomplishing what we're uh, meant to accomplish and do what we're supposed to be doing. It's a stronghold. It's holding us back. It's constraining us. And Paul says, hey, we've, you, have a, you have weapons in your arsenal to destroy all of those things. Amen? Amen. Here's the thing about weapons. We need to learn how to use them effectively and properly. That means we have to practice. And that means we need to put uh, in the work and know the weapons that we have. And we need to know them like they're the back of, like the back of our hand. Like when I, when I talk to my military friends, you know, when you go into the military, there's a lot of training and stuff that happens. They are preparing your body, soul, spirit for, for war, for battle. They're getting you ready mentally. They're getting you ready physically. And then they put this weapon in your hand, and then they tell you this. Know that weapon inside and out. You need to know how to tear that thing apart, put it back together as fast as possible. You need to know how to oil it, keep it clean. You need to know what it can do and what it can't do. And so they practice over and over and over again with that weapon. They can take it apart with their eyes closed and put it back together. They know how that weapon works. They know how to use it. And that is the same thing for us as believers. We need to know. We have weapons, and we need to know how to use them. And the way that we know how to use them is we keep practicing and putting them to use. So before we get into the weapons that Paul is talking about here, I want to talk, I want to go into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. And 
we're going to look at how we're supposed to be prepared for battle. So this is what it says. Put on. Everybody say put on. Put on. Say it again. Put on. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, everybody say it, put on. Say it again. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet uh, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is talking to the, the... the church, the Christians in Ephesus. And he's like, listen, you guys, you are in a battle. Again, reminder, you're in a battle. It's not your neighbor. It's not the people in the next community. It's not your family. It's not your, your wife. It's not anybody. It is spiritual forces. They're demonic forces. They're attacking you. And so he reminds them, not once, but twice, put on the full armor. The full armor. Get ready for battle. Put this armor on and be ready for what What's coming? And so then he begins to lay this out. You need to put on the belt of truth. The Bible says that the truth will set you free. Put on that belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Get your, your shoes on of peace and get your shield of faith and your helmet of salvation. And it's important to realize that this armor is for our protection and that each piece protects us from some attack of our enemy. And it's our responsibility to put it on. There's nobody that can put on this armor for you. You have to do it. God has put it there. He's given it to us. He's shown us what it is. He's, he's told us what it is. Paul is reminding us this is what it's for. Now you and I have to put it on. We got to get dressed. It's like you get dressed every day. I don't think many of you have people dress you every day. Guess what? Some, nobody's going to put your armor on. You have to put it on. And Paul's saying, put this armor on and get ready for battle. And it's only after we put on our protective armor that we're able to pick up our offensive weapons with divine power and use them against the attacks of the devil. It's not surprising that Paul, who's talking to the church in Ephesus, is also the one who is talking to the church in Corinth with our verse this morning. He's, he's, he's continuing with this theme of battle and war. So let's go back to our first verse. In verse 3, it says this, before 4, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to distinguish strongholds. Now notice, Paul doesn't give this list of divine powerful weapons. He doesn't do that. He gives us this list of armor that we're supposed to put on, but he doesn't give a list of weapons that we have to use. But if you will read the scriptures, if you go through your Bible with the mindset of what are our weapons, you will see them all over the place. That God has set these things in place for us to pick up and to use against the attacks of the enemy. Whether it's lies or deception or it's temptation or all this stuff. He's put right there in the scripture the weapons that we use to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. 
The only thing that's clear and that Paul makes clear is, that, that, is this, that we need to put on our armor first before picking up our weapons. So let's look at some of the weapons that I found. And I'm just going to be completely honest with you this morning. There are way more weapons that, uh, in, the, in the Word of God than I can go through today. So we're just going to highlight uh, several, and I, may, I might just highlight a few at the end, just run through them. But I'm going to give you an assignment as you read the Bible, as you listen to the Word of God, to, to pick out those weapons that God has given us to use against our enemy. The first one is this. It's the Word of God. Wow. Uh, this is it. Well, Paul, Paul says, actually, right after we put on the full armor of God, when we have the armor on, then he says this. Then pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Once we have on our armor, he says, then pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And again, we need to know how to use this and to use it effectively. We can't just say, well, I got a Bible and just start swinging around and start demolishing things as much as we'd like to. That's not how it works. We need to get the Word of God in us and know what it says. This is the spoken word of God. It's called the rhema word. Use it. Proverbs 7, 1 says this. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commandments and you will live. How many want to live? All right. Good. There's about six people in here. (laughs) Guard my teachings as the apple of my eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. The word of God is so vital to not just living, but living right, and to living righteously, and to living victoriously. It's how we defeat our enemy. This is why knowing the scriptures, why we're talking about uh, discipleship here at City Church. This is why Pastor Tom is doing this monthly class on discipleship here, is to teach and train to know the word of God. We have this uh, illustration with the hand. It's hearing the word and reading the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, and then meditating on it. And I think it was just last Sunday that Tom said, look, it's all about meditation. It's all about meditating on the word of God, getting it not just in your memory, but meditating on it and saying, what does it say? What is God asking of me? Knowing the scriptures because it's vital to our success as believers. Let me give you another illustration. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Do you ever have a duh moment? You're reading this going, why do they even have to put that in there? It's like we all know he hasn't gone with, he's gone without food for 40 days. We know he's hungry. How many have gone 40 hours without food? Right? 40 days, 40 nights, it says, and Jesus was hungry. Then the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus is led into, uh, the, by the Holy Spirit into the desert. He's fasting and praying for 40 days. He's weak, he's hungry, and then Satan comes in for the attack. This is when Satan attacks us the most. When we're weak, when we're unprepared, when we're not ready, when, when we haven't taken the precautions to be ready at all times. There are going to be times in our life when we're just not feeling up to it. But the word of God in us prepares us for any attack that the enemy can bring against us. So it continues on. In verse 4. Well, let's back up just a little bit. It says, it says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Now I want you to catch this because Satan then quotes scripture. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Like the devil knows the Bible. The devil knows scripture. He will use it. He will twist it. And that's why we have to put the belt of truth on so we know the truth. Is that passage in the Bible? Yes. Is it true? Yes. But the, the devil is using that completely out of context. And this is what Jesus says right after he says that. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. I want you to understand this. Satan didn't stop his attacks on Jesus after the first time. And then he got wise and he began to quote scripture. And Jesus just came right back at him with the word. And then Satan came again. I'll offer you all of this. And Jesus finally just said, Satan, get away from me. No one will serve no one but God the Father. And it says after that, that Satan left him. And the angels came to him. We have a continual fight. It's not a one and done thing. It's not like, hey, just throw a scripture at the devil and he'll leave. No, you need to know the battleground that you're in and you need to know how to use the scripture. This is what's amazing that every time Satan came at Jesus with some kind of temptation, the Holy Spirit brought to his memory the scriptures that he had written on his heart. That ever since Jesus was a small boy, he had memorized scripture, he had known scripture, he, had, he was found at 12 years old in the temple, he was learning all of this stuff. He had written it on his heart so that when, when Satan came to tempt him, Holy Spirit just brought these things up and he just said, it is written, it is written. The way that we defeat our enemy is through the word of God. We pick up our sword and we begin to use it. Here's what I know about a soldier. You will never find a soldier's weapon dirty or dusty. You'll never find a soldier who doesn't know where his weapon is. Oh, I think I left it over here. Oh, I think it's under my bed. Oh, maybe it's in my dresser. That's not how you use a weapon. The way you use a weapon is you know where it's at every single time. You know how to use it. It is clean. It is ready to be used. You need to know the word of God and you need to use the word of God. So we need to get that dust off there, clean it up and get it ready and start using it. Because it is our most powerful weapon. This is the weapon that Jesus chose to use when Satan tempted him. He pulled it out and he began to use it and he defeated the lies of the enemy. If this is the weapon that Jesus used right away, it's a weapon that we should use because the lies of the enemy are destroyed and demolished by the sword of the Spirit. Amen? It's a divine weapon that we need to use. Second, is prayer. I wonder if I was to ask you before I even started all this to make a list of weapons that you think that the Bible has in it for us to use against our enemy, I wonder how many of us would put prayer down as one of those weapons or how high it would actually be on that list. I'm putting it number two because I think when I'm reading reading my Bible, it it shows that it's a pretty powerful weapon and something that we need to use on a regular basis. In order to be carriers of the presence and power of God, we need to be people of prayer. 
And the object of prayer is not to change God's heart, not to change his mind, not to get what we want, not, not any of that. The, the object of prayer is, is really to align ourselves with the will of God and the word of God to do his purpose. It's to find out what is it that God has in this situation for me at this time. I had a friend uh, that grew up. He's actually my mentor. I'm going to talk to him about him in a little bit. But this man, this guy has had more influence in my life than I think anyone. And he would always say, say this over and over. It's stuck after all these years. If you want to know the, the will of God, get in the word of God. You want to know the word of God, what the word of God says? It says it's the will of God. The will of God is the word of God, and the word of God is the will of God. We need to be in, in the word, and then we need to pray. And we pray to get God's purpose. The first thing that we should do in every situation is pray and ask the Lord for his help. Ask the Lord for his direction. Ask the Lord for his provision. You know, sometimes I write things, I write some things in my journal all the time, and many times I write where I heard it from, which pastor, which teacher, leader, wherever, what book I read it in, somebody, but there's so many times I'm reading through my journal, I'm like, well, who said that? Like, why did I write that down? That is awesome, but who said it? I want to give credit I'm just going to, I can't just say, well, I thought of this, uh, but I do that so often, and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's God to say, you know, it doesn't matter. But I wrote this down in my journal, and it's so important. Jesus is with his disciples, and, and one day in, in Matthew, um, it's in Matthew and Luke, several of the Gospels, the disciples looked at him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And we know that as the Lord's Prayer. He just rattles this off, right? Uh, he, he gives us this prayer. But I wrote down these five Ps that the Lord's Prayer gives us. One is, you got, if you write fast, go for it. I just don't have time to go through this. It's a whole other message. This is, uh, it's position, purpose, and then uh, provision, purity, and protection. He's teaching the disciples to pray, and he gives them these five things. Like, this is, this is the position that you need to be in. God, our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. He right away, he's positioning, he's like putting in position. Look, we are lower than God. God is in heaven. He is above all, knows all. He is holy. We are not. It's right position. Honoring God, you are in the, in the position of lordship. First is position. Then he says, we, here's the purpose. We want your kingdom to come here on earth just as it is in heaven. What you have in heaven is what we want here on earth. So we got position, then we got purpose, then we got provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. And then we have purity. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we have protection. Deliver us from the evil one. The disciples asked Jesus for prayer and or how to pray, and this is what he teaches them. How, this is the, how you should pray. This is what you should ask for. And he says, deliver us from the evil one. Prayer is what helps deliver us from the plans and the attacks of the evil one. So we go back to Ephesians six eighteen, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Look, this comes right after Paul says, put on the armor, pick up the sword, and then he says, now pray in the spirit on all occasions. This is even before we attack. Pick up that sword and now pray. Pray like crazy. 
Just pray in the Spirit. Don't pray with your own mind, your own intellect, your own thoughts, your own ideas. Pray in the Spirit. Get the mind of Christ. Know His thoughts. Know His ways. Know what He wants you to do. Pray in the Spirit. We're not coming with our list of do's and don'ts and wants and desires. There's a time for that. But when we're in a battle every single day, we need to pray in the Spirit and get the mind of Christ. Pray continually and pray for one another. Pray for each other as the body of Christ. I, I, uh, I think it was last March or May, uh, I, got, I, sh- I was sharing here on Sunday morning about, um, I had shared a message with our teenagers on um, incorporating these seven words into your lifestyle, and they were, how can I pray for you today? And I, I shared some stories with you, and there's just been continual stories of, of people who have just gone, teenagers and our, our young adult leaders, just asking people, how can I pray for you? Well, this last uh, January, one of, our, one of our high school leaders, Kyle, who likes making t-shirts, he made these shirts, just says, activate leader on the back, and on the front just says, how can I pray for you? And we wear these almost every Wednesday. And what's become kind of a tradition on Wednesdays is we hang out afterwards, and when everybody goes home, whoever's just hanging out, we go to Culver's, and we just, we leave the youth center about 9 p.m., we go to Culver's, we're there till it closes, and this one, a uh, couple months ago, this one Wednesday, we're there, and this lady comes up and says, I love your shirts. There was probably three or four of us wearing the shirt. And she starts talking to us, and then she begins to tell us that she just dropped off one of her best friends at the hospital and had stage four cancer and doesn't look good. And I, we just said, can we pray for your friend right now? And she just said, yeah, loved it. So we got around her. We're just huddling in the middle of Culver's, standing up right by the soda machine, and we're just praying for her friend and just praying over her. Look, prayer, we have no idea. Amen. Give glory to God. We have no idea what God can do in those situations. It's not us. It's not our hands. It's not our words. It's nothing that we do. That's what Tuesday's prayer uh, meeting was all about. It's, it's, his, it's his work. But we need to be open vessels. Prayer changes things. It changes the outcome. It, it brings God into the situation. And prayer is a powerful weapon of divine power that destroys the strongholds of the enemy. Third, worship. I'm just going to go right into scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 20. And I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is is already at Hazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi, and alarmed alarmed Jehoshaphat, sorry, I can't read my own writing, uh, resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people in Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Here's the king of Judah. He hears this. The surrounding area have all come together and they are all going to attack Judah and Jerusalem. They're all coming to attack and they get this word. And, and Jehoshaphat becomes afraid, but the first thing that he does is he runs to inquire of the Lord, to pray and ask God, what is it that you want to do? And then he calls this assembly. 
calls everybody together and he says, we're going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to inquire of the Lord. We're going to find out what it is that he wants us to do. Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came unto Hazel, son of Zechariah, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So during this assembly that the king has called together, someone stands up, gets the word of the Lord, and God gives them the plans and assures them that they won't need to fight this because he's going to take care of it for them. Then the king does this crazy, crazy thing that has never been heard of. They get ready the next morning for battle. And they begin to prepare, and then he, he sets the worshipers out in front of the soldiers. He says, I want all the worshipers up front. I want, I want praise and worship to be happening in the beginning. Get up there. That's, I think that's why we do praise and worship. This just came to me. In the, in the beginning of our service, we're preparing. And he sets them in front of everybody. And this is what it says. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they'd finished slaughtering the men of Seir, they helped to destroy each other. So while worship is going on, two of the three armies decide, hey, let's just get together and let's just destroy them. And so they do that, and then all of a sudden, that's all done, and they decide, oh, I'm just going to kill you. And they just start killing each other until nobody's left. And all, all that the, the armies of Judah did was worship and trust God. They just began to sing praise and began to let God do what he can do. Worship is a powerful, powerful tool that we get to use against our enemy. I don't know when this happened in my life. I don't, I was trying to think back this whole week. Like, when did this all begin? Like, what started this? And I, to the, I have no recollection of how it started. But worship is my default, like, it's one of the things, like, if I'm stressed, if I'm, like, I don't have answers, I don't know, whatever, I, I find a dark room, or I find a place, I shut off all the lights, I put on worship music, and I just begin to worship. It's where I find my solace. It's where I find that I connect with God. It's where I just find I can let go of everything. I can just worship God. And somehow, in the midst of all of that, God comes and just washes over me, and I feel like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God's got it. I don't have to do anything, but I just go and I just worship. I was thinking back as far back as I could remember, and I remember in college during our, our worship assemblies we had um, every week, but I often found a closet that I would pick the lock, uh, and it was because it was dark and quiet, and I, could, I would pick it, open it, and I would get in there, and it would just be me and the Lord and worship, and I would just worship. And it didn't matter what I was facing. I always felt like I walked out of that and I was 10 feet tall and I had all the weapons that I needed to defeat the enemy. God has given us 
this weapon of worship to use. You know, when we worship, we forget about our stuff. We forget about what's going on. Our focus and our attention is on God, and he gives us this overwhelming strength and this power to recognize, look, it's not us. It's him. It's all about him. And if we'll just give it up and we'll give it over to him as King Jehoshaphat did, he's like, look, I don't know how we're going to do this. And, And the Lord's like, you don't have to. I'll take care of it for you. Worship's this powerful weapon to destroy the enemy. But it's more than just singing songs. I I loved it. Pastor Nate uh, said this just as we were in prayer. It's more than just singing songs. I'm like, bro, don't be preaching my message. It's, it's, It's about our heart posture. It's about where we're at with God in our heart. That worship comes from something that's happened intimately with the Lord. It's between you and him. It's submitting ourselves to God and declaring his praise, declaring his value, declaring his worth to us. It's, it's everything. It's all, it's all inclusive. It's, it's inviting everything that God has for us in. It's seeking him in every situation that we're involved in. In, uh, in 1998, our family was in uh, Minnesota. We were uh, pastors at a church there. And... Uh, and God had been doing some amazing things it, that year, and we, had, we were seeing huge growth, and all this stuff was happening. But something began to change, and there was some turbulence and turmoil that was going on, and I don't have time to go into all that. But um, I was in my office. I shut off the lights, and I just uh, started worshiping and just praying and asking God, like, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have for us? Like, what's going on? And uh, it was right at that moment that uh, Steve Munz, a good friend and mentor of mine, called me. He knew the situation. I had talked to him, but he called me and he said, hey, uh, he always called me brother. He said, hey, brother, uh, I got a word, I got a word from, uh, from the Lord for you. And I'm like, fire away. I'm ready. And he's like, it's 2 Corinthians 20, verse 17. And he read it out of the Amplified, and he just said this. He said, the word of the Lord is this, stand still. Hold your ground and see the provision of the Lord. And as soon as he said it, I was just completely washed with peace. It's like, okay, God, you got this. And uh, I went home. I told Sarah exactly what Steve had said. Instantly felt the same thing. We're like, this is it. We're going to stand our ground. We're going to dig our heels in. We're going to fight. And we're going to see the hand of God. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of everything. Of course, we both thought, This means we're going to stay right where we're at. We're going to fight for what we believe is right and true and that God was going to get the victory and it was just going to, everything was going to be fine. But about a week later, as I'm praying, I'm still not feeling any relief of stuff going on in the church itself and and I'm praying. And as I'm praying, uh, Pastor Warren Heckman from Lake City Church calls me. I haven't talked to Warren for, I don't know, a long time. And he just calls and he just finds out how things are going and I share a little bit with him and he's like, well, I'm wondering um, if you would consider candidating to be the youth pastor at our church. Our, pa- our youth pastor's leaving and your name came up and I was like, I was like, Warren, I uh, thank you. I really feel like God has given us a word. Stand still, hold our ground. We're gonna see God provide. He's gonna work this out. And he's like, okay, if you don't mind, I'd like to call you within a week and just see how things are going. I was like, great. How many know that anytime Pastor Warren Heckman wants to call, you're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) So um, about a week later, I'm at home, um, and Sarah's at the church, my wife. And the reason she's at the church is she's uh, covering the phones in the office because our pastor and his wife are on vacation. And I'm home because both of our kids are sleeping, so I'm doing 
I'm just studying. I have worship music on, and I'm praying, and I'm just worshiping. And, and here's the words that I was praying. God, I got to know that I got to know that I got to know that you have called us to stand here and fight for what we think is right and what's true and all this stuff. And uh, the phone rings. And uh, I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello. And he goes, hey, this is Pastor Warren. Uh, just wondering if you've made a decision, if you know. He's like, Warren, I, we're still praying. We're seeking the Lord. We feel like this is what we're supposed to do. And he's like, great, if you don't mind, uh, I'll call you back in a week or so. I was like, all right. I hang up the phone with him, and I just go right back into worship and prayer, and this is the words that I prayed. God, I got to know that I got to know that I got to know that you want us to stay here. That you <laughs> and I'm praying this, and in my spirit, I feel the Lord say, what more do you want me to do? <laughs> and I stop, and I'm like, what? What do you mean? And all of a sudden, I just start re- re- remembering every time I've gone in worship and prayer over this, Steve called me, gave me a word. Warren Heckman keeps calling me. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, I got you. I'm a slow learner. I can't, I can't help it. I got to know that I got to know that I got to know. Putting out the fleece. And so I said this out loud. I was like, okay, if Warren calls in the next week like he said he would, uh, I'll tell him we'll come and candidate. He called two days later. <laughs> two days. And I just said, okay. I said, all right, yes, we'll come down. We'll candidate. And I'll be honest with you, we still felt like we were just doing this to be obedient to God, and then he was going to show us that we were going to stay there and fight, and his plans were far different and greater than our plans. Uh, And we obviously ended up coming here. Worship, Worship is elevating God above every situation that we're in. It's elevating his word, it's elevating his standard for our life. It's elevating his desire for our life. It's, it's asking for his purpose and his destination and his destiny for our life. It, it's asking God. Worship is preparing us for whatever God has for us. It, be, it becomes a lifestyle. Now, this verse blew me away this week. I am not, I'm not even, I hope you get this. I hope you get as excited as I do. This, this verse in Psalms uh, just, yeah. It says this, Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Listen to this next verse. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. In our first verse that we read this morning, it says that we have divine power to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. Do you read what this verse says? That worship reverses this. Not only does it demolish the stronghold of the enemy, it says that God will put strongholds on our enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. He reverses this entire thing. I was just like reading this and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is in the Bible? How did I never see this before? Like God takes our worship from infants and children and not only does he use it to demolish our enemy, he actually puts strongholds on our enemy. That we reverse the process. No, I'm sorry, sorry devil. You don't get to put anything on me, but here's what I get to do. I I get to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords and you have strongholds placed on you. This is the power of worship. This is the divine power that God gives us to reverse the plans of the enemy in our life. Listen, if you have strongholds in your life, begin to worship. 
Begin to worship. Just lay your stuff down and begin to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords because it's his power that demolishes things. It's not yours. We have no power. Without God, we're nothing. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by your, our might, it's not by our power, but it's by the Spirit of God in us. That's where we have divine power. When we worship God, declaring his value and his worth to us, our enemy is robbed of all his power and authority. That's how powerful it is. And here's what's really cool. When we're worshiping God, it is a lot easier to hear his voice and drown out the voice of the devil. When we set our mind to worship God and to put our problems, our situations, whatever, down and just begin to focus our attention on God, his word, begin to pray and begin to worship, his voice gets louder and the devil's voice gets a lot quieter. And we recognize, we realize, look, I am a child of the king. There is nothing the devil can do to, to, to bring me down. Amen? All right, let's look at fourth one, grace. <clears throat> Saying it this morning, God's amazing grace is powerful weapon to destroy sin in strongholds. God's grace offers you what you did not earn, what I did not earn, and it forgives us for the wrongs that we've actually done. Like this is, this is what grace is. Grace comes in and washes over us and, and cleanses us from all our junk. It's free. All we have to do is pick it up. It's like the sword. Put on the armor of God and then go ahead and pick up the sword. Grace has been given to us freely. All we have to do is pick it up and let it wash over us. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we can do to get it. God just offers it to us. He gave us his son. He died on the cross so that we could be free, so that we could experience grace. And that grace washes over us and it actually cleanses us from the stuff that we've actually done. So we get something we don't deserve and haven't earned and it gives us freedom from the things that we've actually done. The harm that we've actually done. The things we've actually said. And the things that we've thought. And grace is available to everyone who believes. Again, we pick it up. It, it's not going to be forced upon us. It's more than enough to help us in any situation, and it empowers us to go beyond our own ability and trust Him. Romans 5 2. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. See, we need to we need to grasp and understand that His empowering presence in our life is there for a reason to empower us to be able to take up our weapons that He's placed before us. Look, we can't do it in our own strength, our own ability. There are all kinds of things that are going on in our lives that we have probably never even shared with other people, but God knows what it is. And his grace covers us and it prepares us. It gets us ready. It, it fills us so that we can be, so we know who we are. Look, I, I know all my stuff. I know all my junk. The devil reminds me, I remind me. But guess what? Jesus has washed me. And I need to constantly be reminded that I am free from the things of my past, that my, my, my uh, life is here and now in the presence and the power of God, and my future is with him. My past does not define who I am. The stuff that I've done doesn't define who I am. Who I am is a son of the living God. And I walk in that authority because it's his grace that washes over me. It's his grace that sets me free. And when I can take that, that gift of grace and apply it to my life and recognize who I am, 
man, I am powerful because that devil has nothing on me. All he can do is remind me of my junk, and I just have to remind him, look, I'm free. The blood of Jesus covers it all. That's grace. Every one of us who invite Jesus into our life have this gift of grace that's been given to us, and it's a powerful weapon. Because no longer do we listen to the lies of the devil. No longer are we deceived by his junk. No longer are we taken in captive by his plans. We know who we are. We know who God is. And we know the weapons that we have. And we know how to use them. That's why it's so powerful. So it's so necessary to be in the word of God. Because you know who you are. And you know what it says. And then you know how to use it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's Paul again talking to Timothy, and he stays on the same theme. This is three different books, three different times. Paul stays on the same thing. We're in a fight. And he tells Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul just confirms grace is this weapon that Timothy needs to finish the fight all the way to end, to go ahead and, and use the grace that God has given you and empowered you with. And when we, can, when we grasp that God's grace is his empowering presence in our lives, we are able to do far more than we could imagine. So Paul's encouraging Timothy, and I want to encourage you this morning, be strong in grace. He knew grace that was the weapon that Timothy needed. And sometimes, sometimes our faith fails. Let's be honest. We're all human. Sometimes we just lose faith. It's like, I just don't feel, I just don't feel like I'm that strong. I just don't feel like I'm, and, and when that happens, we become weak and we disconnect ourselves from the grace of God. It's by faith. Grace comes by faith. And we need to, here's what needs to happen. When we feel weak in our faith, we need to go back and we need to get in the word of God. And then we need to start praying like crazy. We need to ask God for intervention. We need to ask him for provision. We need to ask him to purify our hearts. We need to ask him for all of this stuff to protect us from the enemy. We need to worship him. We need to get back on track. So when we feel like, hey, our faith is small and we feel small and we feel like we're defeated, go right back. Get in the word of God. Get into prayer. Get into worship and begin to recognize that the grace has been already given. All you gotta do is accept it. Grace is a powerful weapon. Ephesians 6.10 is the verse before verse 11 where we started in, in Ephesians this morning. And it says this, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Grace is a powerful weapon. We need to be constantly strengthened by the grace of God. And if we aren't, then we tend to give up and disconnect and we cannot successfully fight our enemy if we're not if we're trying to do it in our own strength. If we're not doing it with the weapons, the divine power that God has given us, we will lose. And we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to be strong so that we can stand up and we can fight for what we were created to do. So we've been given this grace as a weapon to use against Satan. But I wanna, I wanna say this. It's not just for us to use it's also for us to give. And this has become very evident in the last several months in my own life. 
that sometimes I think we are harsh on ourselves to pick up grace and apply it. And as believers, I think we're also very harsh on others. That we're not very good at giving grace. Sometimes we're okay with receiving it and taking it and applying it to our lives, but we're not very good at giving it. This is what I feel like is, has caused so much dissension in the world and with Christians. is because we haven't been very grace-filled. We live in an ungraceful world. And unfortunately, the church, and I'm talking about as a whole, not just our nation, but in the world, has failed miserably when it comes to showing grace. That we're not very, we're not very good at grace giving. We can receive it, but we don't give it out very well. And we need to change that. God has filled us and given us grace. He's given us love. He's given us his mercy. He's given us his strength. It's not just so we can hoard it and keep it to ourselves. It's so that we can be grace givers. So that we can go out in the world and though people don't look like us and smell like us and live like us and talk like us, that we can still be full of grace and love them the way Jesus loves us. We need grace. Without grace, we're nothing. And, and here's the thing. The world needs to see grace more, now more than ever. They're not seeing grace in the church. That's why they're coming against it. They're not seeing grace in Christians. That's why they have no need for it. We need to be people of grace. That might be statistically true, but like I said in the beginning, that is not truth. Grace washes us and sets us free. It's a powerful weapon that we get to use, but we also get to give. That we need to be people of grace. That we need to show what grace really looks like. What does a true Christian look like? Jesus walked in grace. That's how we need to walk, in grace, towards other people. Where am I? Wow. That came out of nowhere. I read this book. <laughs> it didn't come out of nowhere. I read this book uh, a couple months ago that I don't, I don't get to preach very often up here, but I'm going to recommend a book that everybody should read. Uh, it's called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Powerful story after story about God's grace and how, how people have shown ungrace. And it's just life-changing. It had me look inward so often. It remi- I'm reminded of it constantly. Like, what, is it, what does it look like to show grace in this situation? So what's so amazing about grace? Philip Yancey. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. Get it, read it, listen to it. It's, it'll change your life. The mission of the church is to be a haven of grace in a world of ungrace. Gordon MacDonald said this. The world can do almost anything as well as the church, and many times a lot better than the church. Let me let that sink in for a minute. The world can do almost anything as well as the church, and many times better than the church, but it cannot offer grace. The world can't offer grace because they don't know what grace is, but we, the church, can offer grace. We're the ones who bring change. Not because we're powerful, but because that's what God's called us to do. To be agents of grace in a, in a world of ungrace. To be different than everyone else. To not get sucked up into our own little thing, but to, to use the weapon of grace to demolish strongholds. There is a stronghold against the church and there is a stronghold against Christians and we need to use grace to demolish that stronghold. We need to use the the power of grace that God has given us to demolish the the pretense and the lies that people have about Christians and about the church. You hear it all the time. You see it all the time. 
Well, let's live differently. Let's let the world see that we've been washed and freed by grace and we have this weapon and we have this infilling that we're overflowing with grace for other people. If we'll do that, our lives will be different and we'll change the lives of other people. We have these divine powers to demolish strongholds. Now, I said in the beginning, we have, there's a lot more weapons. I can just run through them fast. You have your testimony. You have the name of Jesus. We have obedience. We have unity. All these things in the Bible, they talk about how powerful they are for demolishing strongholds. But use these weapons, the word of God, prayer, worship, and grace as a starting point to establish who you are in Christ and to begin to do um, battle with your enemy. Would you stand with me as we close? If everybody just bow your heads, close your eyes. This morning, if you're here and you just feel like, man, I, I am not walking around with any weapons and I feel a little defeated and a little like I'm, I'm down and out, don't feel vic- very victorious, uh, and you just feel like you need, you need some extra help this morning, would you just put your hands up in this the receive position? I'd just like to pray over you. There are times in our lives where you just feel like, man, everything's coming at me from every direction, but I, wanna, I want you to know God is more than enough. He's more than enough. He's, he's given us everything that we need in the word of God. He's given us prayer as a powerful weapon and he has given us worship to use to just get us into the right mindset. And I just want to pray over you if your hands raised up. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask that God, you would take the words that were spoken this morning, the truth of your word that we would use to define weapons in our arsenal to defeat the strongholds and the lies of the enemy, to increase our faith. God, would you build us up on the truth of your word? Would you... Would you allow us to take these things this morning and to apply them to our life, to put in the effort, to put in the time, to practice in the word, to practice praying, to practice worshiping, to just make this a part of everyday lifestyle so that God, whenever the enemy comes, and he will come because you told us in your word he would, when he comes, we'll be able to defeat him because we have these weapons to use against him. So God, I pray that your power, the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just begin to take these situations that each one of us is dealing with, we begin to set them in their place, and that God, we would just look to you as our, as our final uh, victor, that God, we look to you as our one who is going to carry the load and help us in every situation. We give you all the glory and the praise, and we say thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.